0: Good afternoon Memorial Baptist friends and family and welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for May 27th 2020. I hope everyone had a very blessed Lord's Day this past Sunday. This afternoon I want to give you an update on what what's going on at Memorial and what our plans are as we continue to move toward um, reopening. Then I'd like to pray with and for you, and then we can feast deliciously and dine sumptuously on our Bible passage in Hebrews 5:11 through uh, chapter six, verse three. Now I recently read a post from a fellow pastor that mirrored what I have been sensing in my heart during these strange times. And he said this: He said, "I miss being with people, and I miss singing together, and I miss looking people in the eye when I preach." I do. But the church's problem for decades has been that our existence is too heavily oriented on those who are already in the building and too isolated to one day of our lives. We have forgotten that the church exists not to serve itself, but to serve others, not just on Sundays, but every day. To believe that the safety of our neighbors is secondary to our need to gather, is a prime example. See, the best thing for us to learn is to be the church dispersed and deployed, and then lean into it. If the Lord wills, we will resume our physical worship gatherings on June 7th. We want to make sure we do everything in our power to gather as safely as possible. And according to James 4:15, the duration and circumstances of our lives are in God's hands. We don't fear a virus and we don't fear death. However, we do believe that God has given us wisdom to use the precautions available to us so as to do our part in loving others. No one likes any of these precautions. This will be different, and it may be uncomfortable. But in order to be able to gather, we need to follow the advice and recommendations that we've been given. So please resist the temptation to grumble or complain. Nobody's enjoying this. Scripture tells us to fill your mind and heart with the joy um, even of the psalmist, in Psalm one twenty two one, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, as we plan to open our doors again, we must acknowledge that Sundays are going to look and feel different for a while. Staying several seats apart, disinfecting surfaces, surfaces wearing masks, And things like foregoing passing out communion or passing the offering plate or even church coffee may be the new normal for the near future. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. We will partake in communion. We will receive an offering. It may look different from how we've done it in the past. may seem a little awkward, uh, but the church can and will persevere. Friends, understand this This won't last forever. It's just an inconvenience that we have to put up with for a time. We're responding to the results of the church survey we recently took, and we had nearly 100 responses to that survey. We're posting that on our website. We're trying to figure out how to get this information out so everybody can see what's going on. But I just want to thank those of you who took the time to fill out our church survey. We really appreciate it, and we're taking that input and we're implementing it as we begin to meet again, uh, the things that you said that, that you would desire in that. So here are a few of the the more important precautions that we're putting into place. We will meet for our 10:45 corporate worship service only. No Sunday school, No nursery. No other activities or events, at least for a while. This is what we call phase two. We're posting on our website all of the four phases and what that looks like, so you can go there and check that out. We're also mailing it out to everyone, so uh, hopefully this isn't the only time you're going to hear this. You'll be able to read it. You'll be able to check it out. Um, We're not going to have any other activities or events, at least for a while, but we will be reevaluating for June and July based on information that comes into the future that we receive. We encourage anyone who is more at risk for COVID-19 complications to continue watching the service online. This includes anyone over 65 who has underlying health issues. We will continue services online for those who do not feel comfortable getting out at this time. We strongly encourage anyone who is sick or has been around anyone who has or is suspected of having COVID-19 to stay home and watch online. We need to practice social distancing in our worship center. So we have marked pews so that no one is sitting directly behind anyone else. Also, we are strongly encouraging family units and individuals to sit six feet apart from other family units or individuals. This means we need to only sit on the far ends of each pew, no one in the middle, unless they are part of the same family unit sitting in that pew. We strongly recommend everyone over two years of age to wear a mask as they enter and exit the worship center. These are the times that we are most likely be passing by or talking to others. And we'll have a limited number of masks available if you don't have one. Children should remain with their parents the entire time inside the building and not allowed to roam about freely. Our doors will be open at 1030 for our 1045 a.m. service. We are asking worshipers to wait in their vehicle until the doors are opened. We will have greeters outside the door giving hand sanitizer. We will also have antibacterial soap in our restrooms to wash your hands with. We will not have any bulletins, any handouts. Everything has been removed from the pew racks. We will not pass an offering plate. There will be a contribution box near the worship center so you can drop off your tithe or your offering into there. The goal is for you to be able to enter and exit the worship center without having to touch anything, or really even anyone. You should be able to come in, sit down, and leave without touching anything, except maybe the Bible that you brought with you. The only doors that will be open will be the doors on the south end of the Great Hall. We're asking for you to park on the south or east side of the building. If you park anywhere else, you may need to walk around to where the south doors are open in order to enter. We need everyone to stay in the worship center and the Great Hall and the South Hall bathrooms for the sake of our cleaning crew. Folks, we understand that it's going to take patience and understanding on your part. You know, once we see how things are going, I'm confident that more and more opportunities for us to be together will open up. Our God is on his throne and he loves us so much. So, just relax and try to follow the guidelines and we will be back as soon as we possibly can. But trust, trust what God is doing even through this time. I'm going to pray and I ask that you would pray with me and um, as I pray. But let join me in prayer. Almighty God and everlasting Father, Thank you for who you are. You are so far beyond us. You are holy. You are perfect. You are robed in majesty. All of creation bows before you. When I contemplate your creation, I am overwhelmed. When I see the heavens and the vastness of the universe, when I see the stars, the beautiful sunrises, the glorious sunsets, the oceans of the world, how great and large your creation is. But I must confess, I feel so insignificant by comparison. And yet, you love me. You care about the smallest details of my life. Your attention to me is with such great love and care. You have blessed us above all the nations of the world. You have saved me from my sins. You have given me life and and even eternal life. Father, you have given us gifts to give to others on this journey of life. Gifts like love and compassion, joy, peace, kindness and gentleness. Thank you for loving us that much. Father, I ask that you would lift up those who are in our church body who are struggling with illness. I pray for healing for their physical bodies and rest for their weary souls. I ask that you would be with Dr. Edna and Bobby Bridges. May they sense your presence even now as we lift them up to you in prayer. I ask, Father, for your hand of mercy, for your hand of grace upon the Morehouse family. Touch them. Bring healing. I ask, Father, for a miracle that only you could do in their situation. I thank you for how you are going to bring glory to your great name through these stressing circumstances. I lift their extended family up to you as well. Be with them. Touch them. Lord Jesus, you surrounded yourself with 12 disciples to carry on your work. And I'm thankful, Father, for the church staff and the leadership that you've given Memorial Baptist Church. Thank you for bringing each of them to Memorial. Continue to knit our hearts together in unity for your kingdom purposes. Thank you for all of our deacons and their wives and their families. What a great blessing they are to me. I am so thankful to you, God, for great men of faith and their leadership and their wisdom in these days when our church has not been able to meet together. When we sorely miss each other and we long to be together. Father God, I miss each of them, and I ask that you would, I just lift up to you our nation. I pray for our leaders. I ask you for wisdom for them to see and to do the things that honor you. Thank you for our president. Thank you for our national, our state, and our local leaders. May each of them sense your presence with them and the humility to recognize your divine guidance at this time in our nation. Father, preserve our nation, this great land. I ask that you would send sweeping revival all across this land. Holy Spirit, bring about a great awakening. What you've done in the past, surely you can do it again pour out your Spirit upon men and women. May each of us walk in your Spirit by faith and not by sight. Forgive us. Forgive us, Father, when we have rebelled against your will. Forgive us for not being in unity with each other and for wanting to get our own way. Forgive us when we have not trusted you more. Forgive us when we have been rude and unkind to others. Forgive us, Father, when we have not done your will. May you fill us, Holy Spirit, and use us for our Father's glory. Truly greater things Are yet to be done in this city. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's switch gears now and jump back into our study of the Holy Bible. We're in the book of Hebrews, and we're in chapter five, verses eleven through fourteen. And then chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Let's read the passage, and then we can talk about it. And I just just understand um, this passage is just what's next. It's next in our study. And uh, as we have been going through the book of Hebrews, um, it's amazing how God's Word just speaks to us. So let's read chapter 5, verse 11 and following, down through chapter 6, verse 3. And God's Word says this, Concerning him we have much to say, and is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant but solid food is for the mature because excuse me who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and this we will do if god permits and that is the word of god now i'm not much on movies as anyone in my family will attest to but one movie i've always found fascinating is apollo 13 and one of my favorite parts is a scene when the character played by ed harris says when everybody else is spelling out doom and gloom and and mission control and saying this is going to be the worst disaster in the history of NASA, when he stands up and he pulls down his vest and he says, Begging your pardon, sir, I believe that this will be our finest hour. That's the movie you remember where the immortal words are slightly misquoted when the astronauts radio back to mission control. Houston, we have a problem. Now, how it actually happened is they said, Houston, we have a problem here. And Houston said, excuse me, Apollo 13, what? And they came back and they said, Houston, we had a problem. You remember why? Part of the engine coil was defective. It blew up, crippled the ship, and brought into question not only whether the astronauts were going to be able to complete their mission, but whether they were even going to be able to get back home. And so they radioed, Houston, we've had a problem. Which became the theme, Houston, we have a problem. Which we use in all sorts of popular settings in our culture. I mean, it's become a phrase that we use in our common conversations. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying here, Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. The problem is not sincere Christians struggling with sin, because that's the normal Christian life. The problem is people sitting under the Word and never listening to it. That's a very different problem than sincere Christians struggling with sin. See, it's a problem of people who are gathering with the people of God. They're under the Word of God, but the Word of God is never getting into their hearts and minds. He says they're dull of hearing. They're not listening to the Word of God. And the author of Hebrews, the writer is pausing right here and instead of going on into a glorious exposition of Jesus as the great high priest according to Melchizedek he's saying Houston we have a problem it's almost like there's some interaction in the middle of the sermon it's almost like when he was he gets to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10 And he says, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, he's talking about Jesus, that all sorts of hands have gone up in the room saying, Pastor, uh, we have no idea what you're talking about. And it's almost like he pauses right here and says, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. You know, I remember... Back a few years at a previous pastorate, I was asked to teach a Bible study with our high school students. Some very intelligent students. And In the course of the Bible lesson, I made a, a passing reference to Mordecai from the book of Esther. I said, I said you know, it's kind of like what happened to Mordecai. And I looked into their very intelligent faces and I saw these blank stares staring back at me. And then it dawned on me you don't know the story of Esther and Mordecai. And so I asked them, do you know about the story of Esther and Mordecai? And many of them shook their heads no. And so I stopped in the middle of this Bible lesson and I told them the story of Esther and Mordecai. It wasn't that they were dumb. They just had never heard it. They'd never studied it. They'd never been in a church setting where the basic Bible stories had been taught. And so I had to stop and tell them. Now the problem here in our passage is a little different. These people have been taught the word of God, but they haven't been listening. So the the author points out four things that he's concerned about, four problems that he's saying, (laughs) Houston, we've got a problem about. The first thing is that very point I just made. Look at verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I've got a lot I want to tell you about Jesus as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but it's hard to explain, not because the truth is just totally beyond you, but because you're dull of hearing. See, he's saying to this group, the reason you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you about Melchizedek is because you're dull of hearing. You've not been motivated to hear and to heed the basic things that I've been teaching you from the Word of God. You've not been motivated to learn and study the Word of God. The sound of my voice is hitting your eardrums, but the truth that I'm speaking is not going in. You're not listening. You're switching off. See, as I read this passage this week, I thought, okay, I've been there. I can remember times in high school and college where I was under faithful Bible teaching and my heart and mind and soul were a million miles away thinking about something else. It was not that the preacher wasn't preaching something good. Not that it wasn't exciting enough or exhilarating or helpful or practical. It was that I was thinking about something else. You ever done that before? You ever been driving down the road and suddenly 15 seconds later you realize that you don't remember the last green light you went through? You don't remember the last turn you made and you don't even remember how you got to where you are right now. You checked out. You're just thankful that you weren't on the wrong side of the road. It's like you wake up. Where did that 15 seconds of my life just go? What was I thinking about? And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. There are some people sitting in that church and their minds are just somewhere else with regard to the proclamation of the word of God. It may be that their desires are set on something else. They're preoccupied. Maybe it's that they're so burdened by their problems that they're thinking about their problems and they're not listening to the Word of God. See, maybe in our culture, we're so distracted by the constant bombardment of social media and and digital devices that our attention span is about 1.3 seconds and it rolls over every 1.3 seconds. But whatever the case is, They become dull to the word of God. They're not getting it. It's not getting in, it's not penetrating. And what has this led to? Look, secondly, what he says in verse 13. He says, They are not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Now, God's word teaches us the way of righteousness. It teaches us about who God is. It teaches us about the salvation that He has accomplished for us. It teaches us about Jesus Christ. It teaches us about the gospel. And having told us the way of salvation, which is by faith in Christ, then it teaches us how to live as Christians. That's what the writer calls the Word of God here, the Word of righteousness. And as you study the Word of God, what happens? You become skilled in the way of living the Christian life. It's not just that your your head gets filled up with Bible facts, though it's good to have a head full of Bible facts. It's that those Bible facts make you wise. When applied by the Spirit to your heart and you begin to understand how the whole Bible works together and what the Bible's storyline is and what the whole counsel of, of the truth of God is and how it teaches you to live the Christian life. Everything starts to make sense and you're able to start looking at the world through the lens of the Bible and have a biblical worldview and, and you, you're able to understand your own life and the way that you live the life now because of what the Word of God teaches. But our writer, he says, since you're dull of hearing, since the sound waves are bouncing off your eardrums, but the truth is not going into your heart, that means that you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. And then third, look at what he says in verse 14. He said, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. See, the mature are trained in constant practice in their study of the Word of God to be able to discern good and evil. This is moral, spiritual discernment that the writer's talking about. Knowing right from wrong. Knowing what you ought to do from what you ought not to do because you've been in the Word. Because your conscience has been instructed by the Word. And then the writer says, You're not like that. You're not mature like that. To be able to discern discern that kind of spiritual discernment because the Word's not gotten into you because you're not into the Word, you're dull of hearing. Major Ian Thomas, he once said, You know, I've discovered an interesting thing about American Christians. They do not usually come to church to learn anything. Anything. Whatever they do not yet know themselves, they think it's heresy. What they want to hear is the same old stuff so they can say, Amen, brother, amen. Folks, we can be so arrogant. It is through practice, and I want to say application of the Word of God as a habit pattern that one becomes mature. Knowledge must be applied or it's of no value. The mature Christian, through obedience to the Bible, has trained their senses in order to discern good and evil. Listen, don't arrogantly or wrongly evaluate your growth and think that you're mature. I've met senior adults who have attended church for years and are still adolescent or even baby Christian. The mature believer is trained to discern doctrine, but the immature believer is doctrinally undiscerning. They're tossed about by every wind of doctrine. They can be given to religious fads which seem to come in cycles. You know, faith healing or abuse of spiritual gifts or legalistic practices. I want to say even extremes in prophecy, spending all their time discussing with no training to discern good and evil. The immature believer is often emotionally unstable. They are many times operating on their own feelings and sometimes even may have a mystical approach to Christianity. Oh, they love emotional meetings, and they jump from one conference to another. They also have great fears and insecurities and are seem to be constantly arguing and spoiling for a fight against religious boogeymen. They fear the socialists, the liberals, the radicals, the extremists, and many others, almost to the point of frenzy and even hate. You see, the immature Christian is a personality follower. They are easily led and attach themselves to one preacher or system and they they read only the books or tapes of that person or system so the writer of hebrews encourages these readers these listeners to press on to maturity and so forth look at what he says in verse excuse me chapter 6 verse 1 he says therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the christ Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, let me pause before. Where I want to go is that phrase, press on to maturity. But I know that you're thinking about something here. What does he mean? Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Does he mean, okay, let's forget the basic things like Jesus and the gospel? No, that's not what he's saying. You never ever forget Jesus and the gospel. Okay, You live every day going back to the well, the living water of Jesus and the gospel. The writer tells us what is meant by the elementary teaching of doctrine here. And he doesn't leave us to guess. It's listed for us in verses 2 and 3. Look at this. The writer says six things here. Number one, he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Okay, the preaching of repentance has gone all the way back to John the Baptist, not to mention even before that the prophets. So this is basic stuff. Even as Jews, they would have heard good synagogue preaching about repentance. And number two, he says, faith toward God. Okay, this is very, very basic to the Christian life. Understanding faith, understanding that our trust is in God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, by grace, we are saved. Okay, so he's saying not laying again the foundation here on that, or even about our faith toward God. We we should have that nailed down. We should understand that. And even number three, he says instruction about washings. Now, this may refer to Old Testament washings. I mean, they're mentioned later in the book of Hebrews. And remember how these these people are former Jews who are now Christians. So maybe they have questions about whether they're supposed to do the ceremonial washings and, and, and stuff. Or it could be referring to maybe the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. Let me see how if they are Jewish proselytes into Christianity it is possible that they would be aware not only of Greek proselyte baptism, but they would be aware of the baptism that was given to John, and they may be asking questions about how the baptism of John and Greek uh, proselyte baptism relate to Christian baptism. But again, those are basic things about the Christian life that they ought to understand. That's what he's saying. And then in, in... Uh, Fourth, he says laying on of hands. I mean, that could refer to the laying hands-on sacrifices. Again, an Old Testament practice. That would make sense for a Jewish congregation to to have questions about that or understand that. It it could even refer to uh, ordination, where the laying on of hands was used in the New Testament. Fifth, he goes on to the resurrection of the dead, and he says... That's a basic truth that both Jewish people and Christians would have believed in the first century. And six, he talks about eternal judgment. Again, that's the thing both Jewish people and Christians would have believed in the first century. See, all of those six things are listed as basic things, and they're apparently hung up on issues relating to them, and it's keeping them from getting into the meat of the Word of God so that they can see how everything fits together and so it can affect the way they live the Christian life. That's what he means when he's saying, I don't want you to be stuck, stuck on these elementary things. You ought to have understood these things once you were in Christ. You should have understood those things so that I can take you into the meat of the word so that you can appreciate what it means that Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek for you. I can't do that because you're not even listening to the basic things. And I'm having to go over and over again with you on those things. So what is it that the writer of Hebrews is driving at here? Look again at verse 1. Press on to maturity. The goal is that these people become mature in their faith. But the point is this. You can't mature in the Christian life if you're dull of hearing towards the Word of God. If the Word of God isn't getting into your heart, you're not going to mature in the Christian life. He's making the same point that Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, following to verse 19. He says this, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name the fullness of God. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. He wants the truth of God's word to be about his love to us in Jesus Christ. His word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. How shall we, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall life or death or Powers or principalities shall persecution, nakedness, peril, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. See, the, the writer wants that kind of knowledge in them by the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can only get that kind of securing, assuring, maturing knowledge from the Word of God. If you're dull of hearing it will never get in. And what does that knowledge do exactly? What does it do? Look at Ephesians 3:19. It fills you up to all the fullness of God. I mean, what does that mean? At the very least, it means this, it matures you. It matures you. Filling up with all the fullness of God means that you begin to look huh, like your heavenly father. You begin to bear a moral and spiritual resemblance to your heavenly father. People see you and they say, She's a Christian, isn't she? She looks like her heavenly father. People say, He's a Christian, isn't he? He acts like a Christian, he behaves like a Christian. He acts like his heavenly Father would. Just like people saw Jesus and Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what Christian maturity does. They look at you and they say, that's how a Christian behaves. That's how a Christian acts. You see, the writer of Hebrews is shooting for this. That the knowledge of the love of God in Christ which you must learn from the truth of the word that is what matures you. That's the goal of this passage in Hebrews. Growth in the knowledge of truth and growth in godliness that's what he's aiming for. But it's the dullness of hearing that prevents us from getting there. So I want to say this. And I want to say this to each of us. And the reason I want to say this is because it's one of the sins in my own life. I often was under faithful exposition of God's word. And I was dull of hearing. I wasn't listening. You have no idea what you're going to face this week. You don't even know what you're going to face tomorrow. And the truth that you may receive in this podcast may be exactly the truth that you need. And by the way, it may not even come in the sermon, it may come in the scripture reading, it may come in a prayer. So I want to end today with that great hymn of our faith, How Firm a Foundation. And the line in the third stanza it says, When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. See, as I read that today, not only was I blessed by that, but I began to wonder. I wonder who's listening today that needs to hear that word. That God promises to you, sister or brother in Christ, That he will sanctify to you the deepest distress that you have ever ever experienced in this life. He will sanctify it to you. By the way, that is part of the point of Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. He did that with Jesus. But he'll do that with you. But were you here? Were you present? Were you engaged enough to hear that? Or were you dull of hearing? Did it not get through? See, at Memorial, when we put together and design a worship service, not just the sermon, but the whole worship time together, (laughs) we want the steak, the meat, hanging off the side of the plate for you. The only question is, are you coming to eat? Are you showing up? I mean, to change the metaphor, everything that we intend to sing and to say in our worship times, whether a recorded service on YouTube or even a podcast, they're designed to build you up in the knowledge of the truth of the grace of God in the gospel and to mature you in the faith, to help you in holiness, to grow you in grace and godliness. Are you hearing it? Are you listening? Is it getting through? See, the writer of Hebrews is not saying things here to discourage sincere Christians who are struggling with sin. Because there are some people who have just plain checked out. So, are you checked out? Do you prepare to hear the word of God? Do you tune in expectantly to hear the word? Do you realize that you need to hear the word? Are you praying over the word's application in your own heart to the extent of the, in the context of the worship time or even after the service? Or are you asleep at the wheel, just going through the motions and your heart and your mind are a million miles away? See, that's what the writer of our passage is getting at. May God, by His Spirit, wake us up and give us attention to the Word of God so that we are matured by it. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for tuning in. It is so good to to sit down and get around the good stuff in the meat of the gospel and of God's word, and just to be nourished and fed by it. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we will continue our study in Hebrews chapter 6. Until then, stay safe. Keep practicing good hygiene and that distancing thing. Stay studied up in God's word. Eat well, get some exercise And whatever you do. Give God all the praise and glory and honor. Let us do His name. And let's go make His name famous by being His witnesses, dispersed and deployed, and lean into it. God bless.